Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and our show is all about exploring a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us that get us thinking, get us connected, get us more aware, and perhaps gaining a wider perspective. And it's the first Saturday of the month. And when it's the first Saturday of the month, we are always talking about the East Side Freedom Library over in the East Side of St. Paul. And I have my wonderful co-host, Peter Ratcliffe, who um, comes to us as the co-executive director of the East Side Freedom Library and a wealth of history from his many years at McAllister University. Uh, Welcome, Peter. Thank you. And you're joining us from Houston today. Right. I'm here visiting family uh, and very glad to touch base with my local family at AM 950 and throughout the Twin Cities. We have a wonderful guest today, don't we? We do. This is a really special opportunity and occasion for us. Uh, We are anticipating uh, an event on the Thursday the 10th, coming up this Thursday night, with Swedish author Ola Larsmo, uh, who is the author of Sweet Hollow, a novel, um, and is beginning a speaking tour of the United States, and will be only a mile and a half away from Sweet Hollow uh, on Thursday the 10th, and we will actually lead a walking tour uh, together that talks not only about the Swedish experience, um, but also other European immigrants of the 19th century and some engagement with the experiences of more recent immigrants of the late 20th and early 21st centuries. So the listeners should mark their calendars. Join us at the Eastside Freedom Library on Thursday the 10th at 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, to begin our walking tour or come back about 6.30 in the evening to hear Mr. Larsmo read from his novel and talk about his research and writing process. And we have Ola joining us from um, Seattle after a 14-hour horrific long travel from (laughs) Sweden. We are so glad that you're here. The pleasure is all mine. I'm I'm very honored to be on, on your show. And it feels so, so good to bring this story back to the place where it all started. I am fascinated by the Sweet Hollow area. Um, and as I've mentioned, Ola, I, uh, I have a relative that I believe went through that, the, that area for a short period of time. And I remember going on a walking tour with you, Peter, and how, yes. how much it felt um, – like a, a sense of belonging there for me and being able to see the home that's still there and, and the little forest ravine mm-hmm. and imagine what it would have been like uh, in the late 1890s uh, to have lived in that area. Yes. So, um, you know, just to let listeners know uh, that Mr. Larsmo has been a both a newspaper columnist for Sweden's largest newspaper and has already written nine novels. So he has a very impressive resume. Um, but I wanted to start by asking him, uh, Ola, how did you get interested in Sweet Hollow as a subject of your research and writing? 
Well, in, in a way, it was pure chance, but if, if you believe in chance, that is. <laughs> uh, my wife, Rita, was uh, an exchange student uh, in Minneapolis in the 70s, and we uh-huh. went back there to visit friends, uh, her friends. And we more or less just stumbled onto the hollow. There was this small exhibition at the American Swedish Institute in Minneapolis that gave us the first clues, and then we went there to, to watch the place itself. And, and as you already have said, this is a magic place. You just have to step in there, and I think you'll start here, like stories coming from the corners of the place. So, so yes, I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. So when I first studied immigration history, uh, one of the books that had the biggest impact on me was uh, Louis Adamich's sort of then called a memoir today would probably be called creative nonfiction, uh, laughing in the jungle and, uh, which he wrote in the 1920s. And he wrote, or the voice in the novel is someone who had heard stories in Ljubljana in Slovenia from people who had come to North America and had then returned, uh, to Slovenia. And I wanted to ask you, Ola, uh, were there stories in Sweden about Sweet Hollow? Is it a subject that contemporary Swedes um, had incorporated into their family histories? Or were you kind of starting from scratch? Actually, I, I think I have to say that I was starting from scratch. And I think the impact of this book in Sweden comes from the fact that this was news to a lot of people. Uh-huh. Kind of immigration story that they had never heard before. Uh, as you probably know, um, the novels by Wilhelm Moberg, uh, Unto a Good Land, mm-hmm. the suite that he wrote, yeah. had, has a tremendous effect on, on the Swedish understanding of, of the migration process. So his characters are really like the standard immigrants to the States for the sort of average Swede. And everybody in Sweden has read these books and, and they are still very popular. So to come and tell about another aspect of Swedish immigration, that was news to a lot of people. And a lot of people were excited about this, and, and some, some were quite annoyed as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I think the typical immigrant narrative in the United States has been a success story. Uh, yeah. People came with very little and accomplished a great deal, and uh, yet... Your novel is being described by the University of Minnesota Press as uh, providing a gritty depiction of the darker side of Swedish immigrant life in America, somewhat different probably from Mr. Moberg's uh, narrative. Um, could yeah. you say a little bit about why that's the direction that you went in? I think uh, I don't want to be unfair to Wilhelm Oberg, who, who was a great writer. Uh, and there are certainly a very, very dark aspects of immigration that you can find in his books as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think the Swedish Swedish readers have focused on the couple at the center of the novel, uh, Karl Oskar and Christina, who are doing very well, or rather well, I would say. So they have mm-hmm. become like uh, our symbols for immigration. And that, that's not Moberg's fault. That's the readers who have sort of mm-hmm. wanted to hear, hear the more sort of sunny aspect of, of immigration. But uh, the people, uh, the standard Swedish immigrant uh, was not a farmer. Um, 
they were working class people uh, and they mm -hmm. ended up in the cities mostly. We have like 1.3 million immigrants from Sweden during the immigration period on the, during the late 19th century. That means that there are 1.3 million different stories about immigration yeah. from mm -hmm. Sweden. And I think we've heard like 20 of those. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. And the, the people um, who ended up in Sweet Hollow wasn't really, I mean, they were decent people in many ways. This is not a story about people who ended up like on the really dark sides of society. They are poor people. They are striving. They are mm -hmm. trying to build a life. And I wanted to, to show their story as well, tell their story as well. Yes. Um, I was curious also, uh, my curiosity was was peaked several weeks ago when I led a walking tour uh, sponsored by the Three Rivers Park District in Minneapolis that had an exchange program with the Swedish Outdoor Educator and Nature Interpreter Program in Uppsala. Uh -huh. And there were about a dozen people carrying Swedish passports on my walking tour and they had all read your book <laughs> and they said that everyone everyone in their social universe was reading and discussing your book and that they were using it in part as a lens through which to look at the experiences of Somalis yeah. coming to Sweden and I wonder if you might say a little bit about immigration to Sweden today and how your book is part of a discourse ab about how immigrants are being received. Well, that, that's really interesting. Uh, the thing is, when, when I started out writing this book, uh, I was not trying to compare then and now. Uh, I was not trying to mm -hmm. say anything about modern immigration, but down the line, all kinds of similarities started to appear and to edit those out of the story would have been lying. So uh -huh. yes, there are definitely very, very, there's great similarities and great differences, you could say. And that was mm -hmm. one of the things, well, when I first, the first thing I wrote about Sweet Hollow was a newspaper article for my, my newspaper, Dagens Nyheter. And I ended that with, with talking a bit about uh, the Somali community in, in Minneapolis. Ah. I got some really, really strong reactions from right-wing people in Sweden who said it was so utterly wrong to compare Swedes and Somali in any way. But yes, I think there are distinct similarities, not not least in the fact that they live in the very same neighborhoods that some of the right. poor Swedes ended up in, in Minneapolis when they first arrived. Right. And again, they have such a sort of wealth of stories about immigration themselves. So yes, you, you could really talk for hours about similarities and differences <laughs> yeah well, as you know we have we have a, a somali swedish community as well and i've been talking to some some of them about this and, and they're also interested in this book uh, well, uh -huh. well we are coming to the end of this segment and i know that story is a major theme of the east side freedom library um, telling and the gathering of stories using these interviews and workshops and public performances. So we're so glad that you're part of that storytelling uh, and we'll be able to share more this coming Thursday. And I'm going to um, encourage our, our listening audience to stay tuned. We're going to have 
more about the background and research of this book, as well as some of the amazing um, narrative pieces that I was very moved by. So stay with us. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and you're on Connections Radio Show. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and we have Peter Ratcliffe, my co-host today, because it's the first Saturday of the month, and when we have the first Saturday of the month, we're always talking about the Eastside Freedom Library. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Lori, and there's so much to talk about. Yes. We're fortunate this morning to have on the phone with us Ola Larsmo, who is soon coming to St. Paul. Uh, where he'll be discussing his just-translated and published novel, uh, Sweet Hollow. Published um, by the University so I, of Minnesota. And I'll, I'll throw a shout-out to yes. Tina Nunnally, who is the translator as well. Yes, yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, ask Ola a little bit more. Um, you know, at the Eastside Freedom Library, we're very interested not only in the stories of specific communities and experiences, but also in how communities interact with each other. And right as soon as your lead characters, Gustav and Anna, and their children arrive in Sweet Hollow, they're already interacting and in complicated ways uh, with Irish immigrants, uh, Italian immigrants, uh, with others who are either living in the hollow or Germans who are running businesses in downtown St. Paul. Um, would you say a little bit, Ola, about the interactions between Swedes and other immigrant communities in St. Paul? Well, yes, I can only say anything about, about Sweet Hollow because that's the place I researched. But um, mm-hmm. the thing is, I'm, I'm very fond of Ireland myself, uh-huh. as often as I can. Uh, so I was hoping for a really good relationship between the Swedes and the <laughs> Irish, but that turned uh-huh. out to, to be a uh, false hope. Uh, obviously, they had a hard time getting along, the Irish and the Swedes, down in the hollow. But uh, and it was a bit easier, I think, with the Italians for some reason. But uh, mm-hmm. if you read the novel, I hope that it comes across that at first they clash, but after a while they sort of get along and they interact more and more and there are some intermarrying going on as well. Um, and they work, they all work on the railroad, all the men do at least. So they get more and more to do with each other. And I hope that yeah. at the end of the novel you get a sense of a community of mm-hmm. people sort of helping each other. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. helping each other is I mean, really a- difficult challenges that they all face together. Yes, I mean, the men, they faced hard times at the railroad. These were tough times for railroad workers with, with salaries being cut and, and so on. So I think that sort of brought them together. And I also have a segment um, that takes part in a shirt factory where one of the girls in the family works. And she gets more and more to do with her Italian uh, sort of workmates at this factory. And they mm-hmm. also try to help each other out more and more. So, and I think that's historically correct. At first, first you yeah. sort of clashed and then you sort of got along because you had to. Well, I think that we get a very strong sense from your depictions of uh, Gustav's struggles to make a living 
that uh, work was hard to come by. And uh, the railroads and other employers often pitted workers against each other. Yes, that's uh, true. And, and I think, you know, it's so striking. I think the more detail we get, the more similarities appear between the late 19th century and today. Um, we, we seem, we think we've invented words like globalization yeah. and precar and precarious labor. Um, and our grandparents and great grandparents, their lives were shaped by globalization and, and precarious labor. Um, the difficulty of finding steady work and, and expecting life to get better. Uh, from generation to generation, it is indeed a very familiar story, and and I think encourages us to look with open eyes um, at the experiences of people around us today. What? Well, you, you only have you only have to read the Emma Lazarus poem at the foot of uh, yeah. the Statue of Liberty to get get a sense yeah. of that. One of the things yeah. that, that I loved, and, and you were saying earlier that you wrote this for the Swedish community, but you're interested in how um, uh, folks here in the U.S. are reacting to it. One of the things that it gave me was an understanding that I'd always wondered about. Um, when my great-grandfather came here, he cut all ties to Sweden, cut all ties, did not talk about the journey here, did not – it was he was done um, and he moved forward. But that left, uh, you know, a hollow in me of what was that, and what happened, and and what was the story like, and whether or not this is, you know, a true story. This is the story of coming to Minnesota, which he did, um, and, and that that sense of leaving Sweden wasn't. Sometimes it was because there were issues, and I have a feeling that there yeah. might have been issues with my great grandfather uh, in not wanting to have any connection back to Sweden. Well, my, my grandfather's brother, who ended up and, and actually died very tragically here in Seattle, definitely had to leave because he had been in, in a fight. <laughs> so he was happy to leave leave that behind. Ah. I think. But but as I said, there are 1.3 uh. million stories. So there were people who, as we already have said, was very successful. There were people who drank themselves to death. I mean, you can find all kinds of stories. And, of course, you can find people who were really, really happy to leave Sweden behind. We, we have to remember, back then, Sweden was not a very forward country. I mean, a lot of, of uh, young girls left Sweden because they had heard that you could support yourself, get a living from working. You didn't have to marry, so you could go to the States and work as a Swedish maid. I loved and, Inga. Inga, you know, yes. she had her, yeah. her whole act together. I mean, she had read her book, and she was sort of the source of information for everyone. That, that's one of the lovely things with writing fiction, is that Inga invented herself. Ah. She just stepped into the store and said, okay, I'm taking it from mm. here. <laughs> <laughs> she did, too. She was, and yes, she, she did. She, and she sort of helped with it. She helped make the decision for them that they should come to Minnesota. Whether or not Gustav paid any attention to Anna, who had made up her mind to go to Minnesota initially, uh, Inga had planted that seed. And there was a bond between the two of those, that was, two of those women. It was very powerful. 
Well, when you get to the end of the novel, I'm not going to spoil anything. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> Ellen has some thoughts about why they ended up where they did. Ah. So you're, you're absolutely right about that. There, there's some good seeds planted there. But uh, Inga definitely, even on the boat ride, there was something about her being a steadying influence. Well, we're coming up to the end of this segment as well. But in the next segment, I'm I'm – interested about uh, how you cre- have created time in this novel. There's wow. sort of a sense of forward and back. And to me, it's almost like the rocking of the sea. There's this whole sense of a milieu of time that comes together and how the voices change um, in the perspectives and, and the various stories that come through here. So those are a few of the questions that I have for you. Um, that <laughs> Thank are, you. That sounded great. <laughs> good, good. And we'll, we'll be back after just a few commercials. Um, and and to our listening audience, please stay tuned because this book is is deeply personal and delightful and uh, takes you away in, in all the good places that we should go when we read a book. So we'll hear more from the author of Swede Hollow in just a few minutes. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. We're so glad that you're here today. We've got my co-host, Peter Ratcliffe from the Eastside Freedom Library, who's the co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library. Welcome, Peter, down in Texas today. Thank you, Lori. Glad to be with you. And we have a wonderful uh, author who has just finished up um, having it be translated into English, the book Swede Hollow by Ola Larsmo, who um, – we had the book translated by Tina Nunnally and published by the University of Minnesota. And we've been talking about the history and we just started talking about the story. So, Ola, I have got a section that I absolutely adored um, that to me helped me enter into this story even more so. And in this, Anna is on the boat and she is traveling from – England at this point. She's gone from Sweden to England and now she's launched into the voyage across the sea. And she shares that the knot in her stomach was not from nausea, but pure fear. She wasn't scared they might sink because the ship was upright and the smoke was streaming from the three smokestacks. But she was frightened by this vast new world that offered no discernible sense of direction. She'd never seen anything like it before. And that was how things would be for her for the rest of her life. And in the book, there seems to be discoveries moment by moment as they are in this new world. And as a reader, I am entering into that opportunity to see with fresh eyes what that must have been for her, which uh, I find very rich and um, and and taking me to a place that I've always wanted to go but didn't know that I always wanted to go. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think uh, you found one of the spots in a novel that has reached meaning for me too. <laughs> so as they ventured out um, on this ocean uh, with the back and forth and the difficulties of being packed in that um, lower berth with many different cultures that they had to share and, and women and young men and young women being separated off and families into the other – um, that whole immigrant experience of sort of how do they survive in the hull um, set, I thought, the tone for for the rest of the novel in terms of how are they discovering each other and discovering their own experience. 
And the time in the novel seems to go backwards and forwards and you get little hints like at one point we, we know that Carl who fell on the uh, the – uh, fell on the floor in the wood, uh, remembers that as the only part of his yeah. journey. So you know Carl's going to be okay because there's some things that happen. You go, is Carl going to be okay? And yes, Carl's okay because he remembers that. So so tell me about how you chose to create that sense of almost timelessness in this storytelling. Well, the novel is, is constructed that way that it starts out in a kind of slow pace. I mean they're confined to this ship for, for two weeks. But uh, I think as you get along, the time sort of speeds up in the novel. So it goes faster and faster. So in the last segment of the novel, it's like decades between your meetings with the, with the characters. And um, I wanted to tell the full story, really, how it was to be cramped on this that ship in the beginning. And in the end, how it felt to sort of have grown up and grown old in the States and looking back on your life. And uh, the next generation, perhaps, didn't have that connection to their history either uh, so so i think it's 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 very good <laughs> that you pointed out the time aspect of the novel because the time does something to these these people we meet and it does something to this place actually it, it is a novel more about a place actually than than about people because yeah. when they're all gone sweet hollow is still there yes and it still is today full of stories and the voices change you you hear the children's story and Anna's story and and I like that. I like that all of a sudden it was like I was sitting in the boat with them and all of a sudden I'm I'm hearing someone else talking <laughs> and and their view. Uh, I'm accustomed to having just one narrator <laughs> yeah. talking me through, but it was almost like uh, being part of the group when I would hear different stories and different perspectives. How did you make those choices? Well, we have a tradition in Sweden of what you could call the collective novel in a way with lots of voices blending and, and crashing into each other in, in, in a novel. I, I like that a lot. Uh, and in a way, it had to be like that in this novel because it is about how people shape each other, how their experiences sort of blend and and sometimes perhaps somebody else makes a decision for you for the rest of your life and you didn't even notice and I think that's especially true about people who live on the margins and then have, have a rough time. Mm. And speaking about decision-making, I found that very interesting that Anna really felt moved by Inga and the group that were going to Minnesota that she would have a community there. But her husband uh, didn't want to be forced into making that decision and really took another route initially uh, that I think impacted Anna. Anna already had high anxiety and, and suddenly she's in New York and um, and afraid and her husband is searching for where to work with the help of an old Norwegian that, that guides the yeah. way. It, tell me a little bit about that. Well, that was also one of those stories that we hadn't heard so much about in Sweden. That were lots and lots of, of rather poor Swedes living in New York on the Lower East Side mm. and, and over in Brooklyn. Uh, and that was news to me and it was news to, I think, most of the readers as well. And there have, haven't been any research, I think, into these, these people and, and their fates. Just as there's been not that much research done into the history of Sweet Hollow. I, I know that McAllister College has, has done some research into Sweet Hollow, but it, so much of, of the factual history, I think, remains to be told as well. 
But I think that as you, you point to Inga in, in the novel, and I'm, I'm happy that you do that because uh, she really, really has stepped in and wanted to be an important part of this novel. And in a way, I think it's it's appropriate that, that an orphaned girl from Sweden in her 20s takes the lead, in a uh-huh. way. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, she gets more and more influence as it almost turns into what you could call the mayor of Sweet Hollow for uh, a while. Well, you <laughs> you also have the young woman who's the Salvation Army. I mean, she's a young yeah. woman that is, is talking directly to Gustav. This is not safe. You need to get your family someplace else and then takes yeah. the initiative to help get them funding. Um, that's another strong young woman. And I, I love yes. that you're portraying good, sound, strong women that are taking charge and saying, this is, this is not a good place. You need to think about where your family should go. Actually, if you look into the history of Swedish migration to the States, you will find a lot of these young women who took a lead. And there is one book by, by Joy Gentleman, Minnesota historian, called I Go to America, that tells this story about these young women who actually decided to immigrate to shape their own lives and, and sort of take charge of their own lives. And I thought that was a really sort of important part of, of Swedish migration history. Well, not only is it a good part of migration history, it helped give me a sense of like, that's my that's my ancestry, you know, strong. Yeah, yeah. I love that. You're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a sense of uh, being able to take charge and that, that that's part of my DNA as well, which, which was very rewarding as an American reader who has uh, Swedish ancestry. So that one of the questions that, that I was a little bit concerned about was how this would come across to an American audience because some people in Sweden, most people really, really have been very positive about this novel. But uh, some of the critics said that I was blackening the history of Swedish migration since I decided <laughs> to tell the stories about people who had a tough time. <laughs> Well, and I, I couldn't really understand that part of, of the criticism I got. Well, with that, I would uh-huh. like, like to have you share about the Scandinavian migration, that that's really changed over the last 10 years. Tell me more. Well, when I started writing this novel, I was so lucky because I stepped into something that was going to be of great interest to a lot of people. And I didn't know that. But 10 years ago, I would say that uh, the interest in Sweden, at least in Swedish migration to the States, was fading. It was something that happened long ago, and we knew all about that. And I think that suddenly, because migration started to shape world history again uh, in ways we didn't anticipate, started to show us aspects of our own history that we had forgotten. And the interest in the Scandinavian migration to the States is growing, I would say, rapidly now in Sweden. And um, that was really lucky for me because they wanted to read my book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think that that's true about what's going on in in the States as well and and in places where the strong Scandinavian migration like Minnesota. At least that's the impression I get, that the interest is growing uh, there as well. And for Well, we like to say at the Eastside Freedom Library that there, we want to engage in the conversation between the past and the present. And, exactly. and I think that this kind of conversation is growing in the United States, even though, as you will certainly see on your visit, and have probably seen through the mass media that there's this very negative discourse emerging out of Washington and and certain places in the country uh, that that is hostile to immigration. 
But I think not far beneath the surface, there are a lot of us who are trying to understand how our histories are interwoven uh, with the histories of newcomers uh, to our country and to our communities today. And a happy ending. And a happy ending between the Swedes and the Irish is that you know my great grandfather did marry a good Irish immigrant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were very happy about that. Yes, yes. And um, yeah. Peter, yeah. again, give the um, overview of where we can come and see Sweet Hollow and be able to listen to Ola right. in person. Yeah, so we're we're going to do a walking tour this Thursday, Ola and I, um, on the tenth, meeting at four thirty at the Eastside Freedom Library at 1105 Greenbrier Street. The walking tour will end back at the library between 6 and 6.30, and we will make Ola work even more, uh, and he'll read some and present his novel, and there will be copies of the novel uh, that he will sign and that participants can purchase. And for more information, you can go to eastsidefreedomlibrary.org. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I will be at the walking tour. So I look forward Thank to you seeing you much. there. Okay. Okay. Ola, I will see All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and my co-host Peter Ratcliffe from the Eastside Freedom Library is joining as my co-host today. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Lori. Glad to be here. Peter, thank you so much for bringing such a wonderful author to our conversation today. And I'm so looking forward to our time together on the 10th, uh, did you say? is our, our Yes, our Thursday time? the 10th. Terrific. And you have some yep. other good news for us about things happening in the Eastside Freedom Library this month. Lots of things. Um, you know, just uh, night before last, we had local author Megan Marsnick and her novel Underground, which traced the experiences of women in the 1916 Iron Range strike primarily women in the Slovenian immigrant community in Bawabek, where Megan grew up. So we're constantly representing, probing, engaging with uh, these stories from within specific immigrant communities. Um, tomorrow, on Sunday, uh, at 10 in the morning, there will be a discussion from the Oromo community about how they're viewing political changes back in Ethiopia and what impact. You know, we, we have in the Twin Cities the largest Oromo community in the United States, hmm. and they are the most significant minority group in Ethiopia, and they're following and trying to impact positively uh, the changes that are going on there. Then a, a week from tomorrow on Sunday, the 13th of October, there will be a teach-in at 1 o'clock in the afternoon about what's going on in Kashmir, a contested territory uh, between Pakistan and India. And local South Asian scholars and activists are organizing a teach-in to help us get beyond the very limited information that we're getting from the American mass media. Um which is mostly interested in showing Prime Minister Modi holding hands with Donald Trump at a rally 
uh, a in week Texas, ago, yeah, in Houston, in Houston, in Houston, in, in Houston yeah. no less. So um, it, it's listed. And, and, no, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was just saying it's listed as a co-learning forum. Tell me what that means to you. Well, I think you know we we are believers in activist scholarship and active ec- education at the Eastside Freedom Library. So we want people to bring their own experiences, their families' experiences, and also the questions that we have. And so it will be more of a conversation than a top-down academic lecture um, about what's going on in Kashmir and how we can learn about the very diverse points of view that our South Asian neighbors here in the Twin Cities whether they're from Pakistan, India, uh, Kashmir, Bangladesh, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, wherever they might be from, the ways that they and their families are viewing these experiences. And again, like our Oromo neighbors, trying to figure out how to have a positive impact towards greater freedom and democracy. And as we were saying with Mr. Larsmo, um, greater opportunities for women uh, and for marginalized groups within these communities. Um, and then in a very similar vein, um, on Saturday the 19th of October, we will be hosting the annual gathering of the Norwegian American Historical Association, and their focus is the production of archives within immigrant communities and they're going to hear from Marlon Heiss, uh, whom we work with at the Eastside Freedom Library, who is the founder and curator of the Hmong Archives. And he's going to talk about how growing up in a Norwegian-American family led him to become interested in Hmong experiences and in documenting Hmong experiences. And we're going to hear from Kosol Sek, who is the founder of the Kamai Museum in St. Paul, the major museum in the United States that's documenting Cambodian experiences in the diaspora and particularly here. So all of these are ways of trying to bring forward stories that have typically been in the margins and that we can connect to in so many ways not only to understand our neighbors better, but also to understand our own histories and experiences better. So October is a great month for engaging immigrant experiences at the Eastside Freedom Library. I'm looking at your calendar, and there's two others that I want to ask you questions about. Sure. Um, One is on the 15th, Women and Labor's Democracy. So uh, my old friend Liz Fowl grew up in Minneapolis uh, did a Ph.D. at the University of Minnesota at I. Berman. Uh, Liz has been teaching for 30 years at Wayne State University in Detroit. She wrote a book called Community of Suffering and Struggle, which looked at the experiences of women during the 1934 Minneapolis Teamsters strike and more recently has written a very significant book, called Rethinking the History of the American Labor Movement that asks questions about race, gender, and inclusion uh, within the labor movement over a period of 150 years, not only teaches us history, but also asks us to engage with that history 
in ways that we can build a better future. And so she's coming to town, brought largely by the new Brookwood Labor College, which is a related project to ours at the Eastside Freedom Library. And she's going to give a talk looking specifically at the period from the early 1920s to the end of World War II and looking at the roles played by women in helping to create a more democratic labor movement. What was the other event you wanted to ask about, Lori? Where You Live Matters, Homes as a Route to Health ah, Equity in, yeah. uh, in the Built Environment. Yeah, so we've been working on the theme of the labor movement and environmentalism, and we were excited when the National Blue-Green Alliance, which is based in Washington, D.C., reached out to us and said that they were developing a workshop curriculum to bring union activists, particularly in the building trades, together with environmentalists to explore how we could develop an agenda. Um, I, I would use the term Green New Deal. I think they're not yet using that term, but how we could develop an agenda that would create good jobs, create affordable housing, and address some of the housing inequity issues that we've been concerned about for the last six months at the Eastside Freedom Library. So they're going to model this format uh, on Thursday evening, the 17th of October, and they're asking us to assemble as diverse a participation as we can, people from the labor movement, homeless activists, people working on housing equity issues, um, and environmentalists who are concerned about what we're building homes out of, what energy we're going to use to heat and cool and, and light those homes, um, how we can all come together and create an agenda, um, a vision um, that will lead us to a better future. So we're, we're very excited to be working with the Blue-Green Alliance later this month. And I have one more, and that's the six-session course, Immigration and the Making of St. Paul. So that's me. Oh, um, I can't. I can't stop teaching. Um, <laughs> I'm no longer teaching at McAllister, um, but I have found teaching through the St. Paul Public Schools Adult and Community Education Program to be a great experience for me and an opportunity for me to interact with people from different generations, different backgrounds and experiences. Um, I can't give as much homework. Uh, I don't give any tests. <laughs> the students don't have to write papers. Um, but Sounds it's like a my great kind of opportunity. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and mine, too. It's a little less stressful for me. Sure. And, uh, and I, I've learned something every time I do something like this. And it starts... bring new ideas. Yeah, it, it's, it's it starts on the started. 30th. Uh, is that right? And, and no, it, it started last Wednesday okay. and will run... People can still join us. It will run every Wednesday night through the first, through the last Wednesday in uh, this month. And for more information on all these wonderful activities, please go to the eastsidefreedomlibrary.org. Peter, thank you again for just a great show and a great opportunity to talk about the good things that are happening and the good people you're bringing. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Lori. I appreciate the opportunity. 